Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Katie Deacon and Georgie Savage are two scientists from the University of Exeter's Biosciences Department. Katie is an MRes student in ecotoxicology, and Georgie is a PhD marine biologist and ecotoxicologist. Both are very interested in anthropogenic pollutants, particularly in marine environments, and are currently working on an internationally funded project investigating plastic pollution in the Eastern Pacific. Today we'll be taking you on a field trip figuratively speaking, talking about tropical penguins, brilliant boobies, playful sea lions, and swimming lizards as we go. Can you guess where we're headed? Katie, your master's by research with the University of Exeter is tied to an international project on anthropogenic pollutants. What is it called and what is the project about? Thanks for the welcome, Harry. Um, So we're part of a large international global research fund project called Pacific Plastic Science to Solutions. So our network is made up of over 100 individuals from university organisations, including Exeter, and prominent NGOs working in the region, like the Galapagos Conservation Trust, as well as social enterprises working on the circular economy solutions, as well as local community groups. So we're spread across five countries and predominantly based in South America, including Ecuador, where our research focus on the Galapagos Archipelago is. We've also got partners in Peru, Chile and then the UK and Denmark. So as you can imagine, it really is an exciting and inspiring group to be a part of. Pacific Plastic Science to Solutions, or PPSS as we like to shorten it to, was set up after the Galapagos and other countries in the Eastern Pacific were identified as hotspots for plastic pollution by some of our project partners in 2018. So the project has three themes. Firstly, to understand the sources, the sinks and the drivers of plastic pollution in the Eastern Pacific. Secondly, we want to assess the impacts of plastic pollution on different environments, the wildlife and the socioeconomics. And then finally, we're aiming to identify and test key interventions and solution-based approaches for local communities and industries in the region. So my master's research is part of impacts theme. And I'm asking the question, are Galapagos mangroves accumulating plastic and what are the impacts on the wildlife there? So we want to know if the larger plastic items, which we call macroplastics, such as the fishing nets, plastic bottles and shopping bags that we regularly find on the beaches of the Galapagos, want to know if they're getting trapped and tangled in the dense mangrove root systems. And then we want to find out if these items are then fragmenting due to the strong Ecuadorian sun into millions and millions of smaller pieces of plastic known as microplastics. We then want to find out if these small microplastics are being ingested by animals at the bottom of the food web, such as crabs, mussels and oysters, and therefore if there's the potential for these microplastics to accumulate in predators higher up the food chain, including ourselves. So the field study area is the Galapagos, Georgie, um, as Katie just outlined. Uh, For someone who hasn't been there, could you describe the geography of the archipelago that we just touched upon? Obviously, there's lots of mangroves we've just heard about. 
So the Galapagos Islands are an archipelago in the eastern Pacific Ocean, and it's composed of about 19 volcanic, um, large volcanic islands, along with 107 smaller islets and rocks. And they're surrounded by a large protected area known as the Galapagos Marine Reserve. The archipelago is located approximately 970 kilometers off the coast of mainland Ecuador, which is on the west coast of South America. It was actually accidentally discovered in 1535 when it was um, originally used as a refuge for pirates and whalers. The first settlers then arrived in the early 1800s and it became one of the last archipelagos to be claimed by a sovereign state. In this case, it was Ecuador. Um, in 1936. However, to this day, only four of the islands are actually inhabited, and the population of Galapagos is around 33,000 people at the moment. And this is partly because many of the islands are actually still active volcanoes and forming new landmass. It is a very unique landscape, um, almost prehistoric in nature, actually, with a contrast of sharp black lava rock and then these really white, sandy and rubble beaches that are made from shell and dead coral. The Galapagos Islands also have two really distinct seasons and they are situated at the convergence of several major ocean currents um, and deep water upwellings. Um, most notably is the important Humboldt current, which runs from the bottom tip of South America um, in Chile, all the way up the west coast um, and then into the archipelago. And it's these seasons and currents that really regulate the temperatures and provide vast amounts of nutrient levels to the region, which is why Galapagos is a vital biodiversity hotspot, with the land and sea being home to an incredible array of species. And those ocean currents that you mentioned, um, are they linked to what Katie was just talking about to do with the accumulation of plastic? Yeah, they definitely are. Um, and actually some research by some people in our network, modelers from Denmark, have suggested that these ocean currents can transport plastics from mainland Ecuador to Galapagos within just a couple of months. Um, so definitely those currents are really responsible for some of the plastic accumulation we're seeing, especially on the eastern coast of the islands. Wow. Um, Katie, the Galapagos are, are very famous. A lot of people know about them. But in preparing for this, the thought occurred to me that um, people can't recall what they're famous for. I wondered if you could if you could explain to the listeners why the Galapagos Islands are so famous and what the background is. Um, so they're probably most well known for inspiring Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. Um, so it was on his voyage in the Pacific when he visited the Galapagos and observed the different beak shapes and sizes of what we now know as Darwin's finches. And he then proposed the idea of natural selection. So consequently, the Galapagos has a real scientific importance as the natural laboratory for evolution. So it's also famous for its sheer diversity of wildlife. They provide refuge to over 9,000 species, many of which are endemic to the archipelago. So that means they're found literally nowhere else on the earth. So some notable endemic species that people might know include the only swimming lizard in the world, the marine iguana, and the ancient and humbling giant tortoises, and also the chatty and very, very welcoming Galapagos penguins, which are the furthest north 
of all the penguin species. Some other charismatic species in the Galapagos that draw in conservationists and wildlife enthusiasts include the bird with the very brightly coloured feet, aptly known as the blue-footed booby, and they really do have very, very blue feet. Um, the playful Galapagos sea lions that they nap on the street benches and the abundant green turtles that pop up their heads to say hello at every opportunity. And so because of all this biodiversity, the Galapagos was actually declared the first UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1978. So the Galapagos actually also represents a symbol of hope, a hope that species can be protected, islands restored and the communities supported to thrive alongside the nature. And is that because the conservation that's occurred on the islands and across the archipelago has been successful since 1978? To a certain extent, yes. I think it's still ongoing and a lot of work is happening now to try and preserve this amazing place. As scientists, why are you interested in the Galapagos and why are you doing field work there and why is it important, Georgie? So as Katie mentioned, the Galapagos is known as this natural laboratory for evolution, which means that it's a really interesting um, and exciting place to research the presence and impacts of man-made pollutants, for example, in a really regulated island ecosystem. Um, However, as Katie mentioned, unfortunately, the archipelago is not as pristine and unaffected by these things as we may expect, considering its remote, isolated geographical location. The Galapagos has actually experienced a 22% population increase in the last decade, which is quite substantial. Um, And this is mainly a result of migration from the mainland to support the economically important growing tourism industry. Um, There's now over 270,000 tourists visiting Galapagos each year. So consequently, the Galapagos is facing some new pressures, including habitat destruction and increased maritime traffic in order to provide that infrastructure, food and resources that they require to support this new larger population and to support the tourism growth. Um, And this is this heightened shipping activity an increasing number of visitors um, coming to the islands is also then increasing the risk of the introduction of invasive species, which can outcompete the native endemic species that are so important to the islands. We're also seeing that fishing is playing an important factor in this as well. So despite the Galapagos Marine Reserve being a no-take zone, large international fishing fleets actually sit at the invisible boundary to that reserve and profit on the abundant fish stocks um, that are kind of moving through the reserve and moving around the archipelago. Additionally, considering it's an island province, the Galapagos is unfortunately at the forefront of climate change impacts. And this, this is resulting in more frequent El Nino and La Nina episodes, um, also rising sea level and ocean warming and acidification. And then to top it all off, um, which is what we're researching, the Galapagos is also threatened by this problem of plastics and chemical pollution. And this is due to an increased generation of debris from this larger population and the number of tourists. And because of their limited waste management systems, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of plastic leakage into the environment. And also the growing fishing and agricultural industries are contributing to this. 
So consequently, we really need to undertake field work um, to understand the sources and the impacts of this pollution um, in order to inform mitigation, management and monitoring strategies, which we can provide to the Galapagos National Park to help them conserve and protect this really unique wildlife and ecosystem that is Galapagos. And what has your research and the research of the PPSS network uncovered? Um, so PPSS, Pacific Plastic Science to Solutions, already some people on our network have identified that the macro and microplastic pollution is sadly ubiquitous. It's absolutely everywhere in the Galapagos and it's often found in very high concentrations. So we found plastic in seawater, in the benthic sediment, in the beach sand, as well as even in invertebrate species such as sea urchins, barnacles, sea cucumbers and even oysters. They've also identified plastic pollution hotspots on the East Coast, which we mentioned earlier. And this demonstrates that role of the Humboldt current, bringing in plastics from mainland South America to the Galapagos. And as Georgie said, literally within a couple of months. So it's very, very fast. So my research, um, whilst it's still ongoing, I've highlighted that the mangroves in the Galapagos are significantly polluted with plastic, especially those on the eastern side of the island. Um, This was really evident when we conducted our recent field work in the Galapagos. And so we found large items such as uh, fishing nets and ropes, along with fish aggregating devices. We found them getting tangled and trapped in the mangrove branches and their root systems. We even experienced like a carpet of plastic, which would crunch under our feet as we walked across it. And so we're still working to analyse the microplastic samples. So hopefully I'll have some more findings um, that I can share with you very soon. And what are you looking for in your analysis? You're trying to ascertain where the plastic's from or what the plastic is? A bit of both. So I'm trying to find the quantification. So how much plastic is there and what kinds of plastics we're finding. So if they're fibres or fragments. And so if we can identify their shapes, then we can sort of potentially infer that they might have come from fishing ropes or lines or that potentially if they're fragments that they've come from you know, larger items such as plastic bags or bin bags and stuff like that. We also test their polymers. So in the lab, when we identify the plastic, we then see, oh, what polymers are made out of? So potentially polyethylene or polypropylene. And these are commonly found in certain products. So you can infer what uh, item they potentially came from. And then through that, you can then hopefully implement mitigation strategies to stop those items getting into the ocean and getting to the Galapagos in the first place. What was it like um, attending your first RGS Explore weekend? Because I understand that you both presented in the Ondachi Theatre about your separate research. Could you tell us what the experience was like and if there were any consequences from presenting? Yeah, of course. Um, Well, we were really honoured actually to be invited to open um, the RGS Explore 2022 event um, and to talk about our recent expedition to Galapagos, including some of the challenges we'd faced in that expedition. It was certainly one of the largest stages we've spoken on. Um, The audience size was very impressive, Um, but it was really nice that we all shared a common interest. And that was a love of adventure, of expeditions, of being outdoors and in nature. We got some really great feedback from our talk and lots of really engaged questions, which is always nice. 
it was also really great to run one of the workshops afterwards, um, which was on planning and logistics of marine field work. So we got to offer some of our advice and experience and the lessons that we'd learned to like-minded people planning their own ocean expeditions. Yeah, I think we can also probably both agree that the aftermath of Explore has resulted in some absolutely incredible outreach opportunities for us. Um, For example, this podcast. Also, I'm doing an RGS micro lecture later in the year that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have gone to the uh, Explore event. And Georgie has also helped encounter Edu, uh, someone we met at Explore with some of their lesson to school kids. We also met some really, really interesting and inspiring people who we would be keen to work with again in the future. And it was just absolutely incredible to meet all these people. That's really great to hear. I'm so glad you had a good weekend and that you enjoyed the the process and, and presenting. Georgie, can we turn to your research? What practical use do you hope will come from your findings? So obviously... When it comes to this kind of work, um, especially when we're looking at pollution, the obvious first steps is to work out and to understand what pollution is there and what the impacts might be on different habitats, such as mangroves um, and on that wildlife. And that's what Katie and her research is focused on. However, at the moment, we are starting to see a shift in research, um, especially to do with plastics, towards more long-term monitoring strategies and solution-based ideas. And this is where my PhD fits in. So we are hoping to develop a rapid assessment toolkit to monitor pollutant exposure and its biological impacts on the wildlife in Galapagos. So rapid assessment tests, for those that don't know, are basically low cost, simple and quick to perform tests that usually result in a really easy indicator, such as a colour change. So, for example, the lateral flow COVID tests that we were all using really regularly only a few years ago are technically termed a rapid assessment test. So these tests are extremely useful for providing real-time data on the presence of pollutants in an area and also the stress these pollutants are having on wildlife. They are also especially useful in countries like Galapagos that perhaps don't have access to some of that expensive analytical equipment. So the aim of all this work is to basically give a toolkit to the Galapagos National Park so that they can regularly monitor the pollution there and identify perhaps where locations of high concentrations of pollutants are where they can mitigate and manage. And this is then to protect and conserve the wildlife. This will also involve perhaps some equipment and knowledge exchange with the local Galapagos scientists and park rangers to help provide them with those tools and expertise, which is a really exciting part of the project. Also, I guess being a part of the PPS project means that all our research and the data that we collect from Galapagos is helping to paint a wider picture of the pollution problem in the Eastern Pacific. So all these countries can really work together to fight the plastic pollution problem. And this is actually, in fact, something we're seeing already with two of our partner countries, Ecuador and Peru, 
leading the way in negotiations for the Global Plastic Treaty, which will um, agree a legally binding global mandate to end plastic pollution in 2024. So it's really, really great to know that the research we're doing and the data that we're generating is actually contributing to inform important policy. And do you have a time frame for when you hope to release the Rapid Assessment Toolkit? So um, I'm in the early stages of my PhD, so it's probably going to be a couple of years from now. But we're we're seeing real progress already in trying to understand some potential equipment, such as passive samplers and also um, other rapid assessment tools, such as bioassays. We're starting to identify some really promising ones that we're hoping to test in the field this summer when we next visit Galapagos. So again, like Katie, we should hopefully ha- hopefully have some more results for you soon. Fantastic. It sounds like such an exciting project. For people who are listening and who might be lucky enough to go to the Galapagos, maybe you'll cross paths with them this summer, what advice can you offer them to minimise their impact? Because you were talking earlier about um, tourism increasing to 270,000 people per year. What would you What would you say to anyone visiting the archipelago? Um, I think mainly just to be a responsible tourist. So don't bring any single-use plastic items to the Galapagos or as little as possible, and to try and minimise your plastic usage whilst there, as their waste management systems are actually under a lot of pressure from this increasing tourism. So instead, perhaps you could bring your own reusable water bottle, perhaps your coffee cup, um, or even your own reusable shopping bag. Also, um, there's a lot of rules set by the Galapagos National Park, which being a responsible tourist, you should really abide by. And this includes the two metre wildlife rule, where you should always um, keep a respectful distance between yourself and the wildlife, in this case, two metres, and avoid flash photography. They may be very inquisitive and try and come up to you, but don't be tempted to touch them. Remember that they actually are still wild animals. Another one, I guess, is, as Georgia mentioned, they do have some rules. Um, So be conscious of their biosecurity rules. So don't take in food products such as seeds and nuts and be careful what might accidentally be stuck to your shoes, as this all then increases the risk of introducing those invasive species and diseases to the islands. Maybe do some research into ecotourism providers as well, especially if you're doing cruises and excursions. I also say ask lots of questions and learn about like the beautiful surroundings where you are. It's an absolutely incredible place with all the wildlife um, and also inform yourself on those threats facing the Galapagos. There's naturalist guides there and they're an absolutely incredible source of knowledge. So really make the most of that and learn about where you are. Also, think about what you're buying while on the islands. Support the local businesses there and communities by buying local produce rather than bringing things in or buying them from chain supermarkets. And if you want to help more, um, you can also take part in citizen science projects um, to support the Galapagos. So such as the iguanas from above, where you can look at images that have been taken of the Galapagos Islands via drones and then you can count all the amazing uh, marine iguanas there and that really helps um, all the science and all the research going into um, protecting these amazing wildlife. You could always donate as well to the Galapagos Conservation Trust which are working to protect the Galapagos. 
And then I think finally, we'd probably just say, make the most of it. You are honestly going to be in the most incredible and unique places and it will be like nowhere else on earth. So really enjoy yourself. As we said at the start, a, a natural laboratory for evolution. It's just an incredible destination for people to go towards. Yeah, it's amazing. I wonder whether we can finish on any general advice about um, resilience or about how to get there, because I heard you had quite a tough journey to start with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't uh, smooth sailing for us to get there. We had a lot of missed flights, um, delayed connections. Um, and then weather issues and general political instability in the region when we arrived as well, which caused some serious delays to our research. But I guess some of the advice we'd give anyone in trying to get to the Galapagos or even just trying to plan field work would always be to have a plan A, B, C and D, but then perhaps be prepared to implement an improvised plan Z. We found that until you are actually in the field, you cannot really anticipate the specific environment you're in. So be really ready to adapt. So, for example, like I mentioned, we had some really rough sea states one day, which meant that the boat couldn't drop us in the cove where our site was. Um, and so we basically had to battle our way through the dense mangroves, almost like Tarzan, um, and then swim ourselves and all our kit across the lagoon to our desired location. So it was a really good job that we'd kitted ourselves out with some fully waterproof kit bags um, and were prepared to just throw ourselves into that challenge. Perhaps I'd also say don't be downhearted when things go wrong. It's bound to happen in fieldwork and expeditions and it's how you then respond to those failures and how you then overcome them that will either make or break the success of your expedition. Um, also, I'd say just give yourself plenty of time in the planning stages. Um, planning an expedition or fieldwork always takes a lot longer than you think. Um, and don't forget those contingency plans. They are so important. And preempt some of those challenges that maybe you might face and plan for those. And also just allow yourself more time on the ground than you think you're going to need. Because again, like we mentioned, missed flights, bad weather, political instability, um, like we experience can easily eat into that time that you're supposed to be in the field. One of the most important things we learn is to never forget your duct tape or your cable ties. They are your best friend in an expedition. And maybe a good sense of humour by the sounds of it to, to keep you jollying along. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely helps so you can make light of the situation. <laughs> well, Katie, Georgie, it's been so great to talk to you today about the Galapagos. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having us, Harry. Um, and if people want to know more about our project and the work we are doing, then please visit some of our socials. We have a website, Pacific Plastic Science to Solution, and we're also on Twitter and Instagram if you just search, again, Pacific Plastic Science to Solution. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools. <laughs>